Hello, friends. It is episode 90. Can you believe it? Episode 90 of the Art Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric Nance, and I never do this solo anymore because I am joined by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, I know we got a lot going on today, but how are you today so far? I'm doing great. We're uh, doing some early morning recording for a change, which is unusual for us. But uh, episode 90, we got the countdown is on to episode 100. I, I don't know what we should do to celebrate the centennial episode of the podcast. Maybe change the podcast name. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, branding's so important for us. Of course it is. Yes, we'll find out. <laughs> we do have some, I'm sure we'll have some surprises planned for all of you. I've gotten a few requests for certain things, but uh, in due time, in due time, of course. But it is time, of course, to dive into our latest issue, issue 2022, week 34, curated by Sam Palmer. And as always, he had tremendous help from our Art Weekly team members and contributors like you all around the world. We knew this was coming, and now they're finally here. All of the recordings, as well as the workshop materials from the recent RStudio Conf, are now available for all of us to listen and watch and catch up on what we missed and relive some of the fond memories. Mike and I have a lot of thoughts on this, and we're going to kind of go in the roundtable style and share our impressions of this. I, of course, being at the conference, you can never go to every talk, right? There's always going to be some you have to pick and choose and some that you'll say you want to catch up on the recordings of. So I did a little catching up as show prep, of course. But of course, listening to these has been a whole lot of fun too. One of the ones I want to talk about and give a good spotlight to is, let's face it, Mike, we know Cordo has gotten a lot of attention in the various wrap-ups and the various recordings. Now, Quartal is possible because of the engines that it is in front of from both the R side and the Python side, and yes, even the Julia side, and some of the native functionality of the observable JavaScript functionality. Where all this started is something I want to make sure we call out here. The Knitter package is the engine from the R side of compilation. And Ihuesia, the original author of Knitter, all things with the down verse, I call it, um, was edited again with an amazing talk on the updates that have happened with Knitter. That, actually, it was the first time in recent presentations where there wasn't a new down-like package. But that's okay, because some of the quality of life enhancements that Knitter has has enabled Quartal to be launched in such a successful way. And no matter if you want to choose our markdown or Quartal as your way of compiling reproducible analysis documents, there are some great goodies that have landed in Knitter that I think definitely deserve some praise, such as, of course, the new way of specifying chunk options, the new way of including verbatim code chunks without doing some custom hacks around that, and also being able to call other engines dynamically, even custom ones, if there wasn't like a simple engine already built in the knitter, you can now shell out in a very convenient way to a new command line utility of your choosing and do some real fancy stuff with that. I think eWay deserves a ton of credit for helping enable the next generation of the pipelines in these documents. So I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. 
um, I, I think I think Knitter definitely deserves some attention for sure. Absolutely, easy to to lose that one underneath all of the Python and, and Quarto presentations that were going on. But Eway, I mean, he's the goat when it comes to reproducible scientific documentation with R, especially what he's put together. It, it's absolutely incredible. The verbatim uh, options that are now new in knitter are a big deal to me at least i remember trying to essentially write four loops in a chunk to spit out a bunch of plots at once right and that used to be a little trickier uh than it is now with some of these updates which are great you know maybe i'll pick out a couple of the other just maybe high level look at some of the other talks that we now have out you know a lot was made again of python and quarto but I think if you really do start to dig into the talks, there's still a ton of incredible R content here. And one thing that I noticed was there is a lot of interoperability uh, talks out there. There was one on achieving a seamless workflow between R, Python, and SAS. There were multiple that revolved around R and Power BI, the data visualization product from Microsoft, um, Tableau, and R also had one. And... I think it's an interesting, you know, for, for you and I, Eric, we're such shiny heads that maybe we don't necessarily need to think too much about some of these uh, off-the-shelf data viz products. But for a lot of folks out there, the learning curve to these data viz products is less steep than shiny can be. Fair point. Um, so I, I think yep. you have some big audiences out there that are leveraging those tools. So it's it's very I think um, it's it's a great thing that we have a lot of presentations that are trying to bridge the gap between R and those data viz tools and, and see how things can play together because that's what it's all about, I think, in the R community is getting as many people to the table as possible. And along those same lines, one talk in particular that I will point out that I really enjoyed and it's very relevant to a lot of the work that, that we do at Catchbrook with a lot of financial institutions and insurance institutions that have legacy models in Excel. There is a talk called Model Migration by Johnny Breen. And it is all about migrating those models out of Excel and into a code first approach like R specifically. And all of the benefits that we know you can get by doing that, such as, uh, you know, version control, and more, much more reproducibility than you would get if you were doing these things in Excel. And that's an exercise that I see happening right now. I see a lot of need for it to continue to happen because a lot of the organizations that we, we work with still do have a lot of models baked into Excel um, that they are trying to, to slowly migrate out of Excel. So I think it's a very powerful talk to a, a wide audience if you are sort of on, on the industry side like I am. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the themes and additional talks were, as you touched on a bit earlier, this interoperability between different platforms. These can, the, it's really important to me to see it's not just about using one specific part of a tool chain, it's how all this integrates together. There were some additional talks about how the team from California's government was able to optimize their response to the COVID pandemic using a unique blend of automated data processing driven by R Markdown, 
deploying on RStudio Connect on a regular basis, and then custom logging for when data doesn't quite perform the way you expect, and then being able to put a nice front end shiny app to interrogate where these issues are residing. That's an excellent talk to look for as well. Um, I think that's where I learned so much is being able to see how all this fits together. You know, I kind of liken myself to a bit of a, you know, chef sometimes of taking these ingredients here, this piece here, and then find a way to blend it together. That's an important part of my daily work. And so being able to engineer that and know which options are available for what use case, there are, there are more than a handful of talks that really dive into those details, which I think are a great way to practically learn what is possible when you're able to blend all this together. So I feel like those were some really unifying themes throughout, um, throughout the scheduled talks. I also want to give a shout out to um, Kiro Mueller for his DM package talk. Because that, if you're dealing with complex data sets that are in databases across multiple tables, this is going to be a really intuitive and easy to navigate way of doing queries across an entire database schema and not just picking and choosing which tables to interrogate over and over again. So I feel like it's still, you know, I would say it's still early days, but these are things that, again, from somebody that's starting to build more complex data type layouts, this is something I'm going to keep my eye on for sure. And, and Kiro was really fun to talk to in the, in the breaks during the conference as well. He's, um, he's got a lot of ideas and never, I never get tired of, of absorbing the knowledge that he has in his team over there as well. So, and then of course, speaking of shiny, we cannot understate the impact and the amazing keynote from Joe Chang. We we even touched on a little bit on the last episode, but now that the recording's out, we can really talk even more about this, where if you thought you knew the history of Shiny, uh, you don't know it the way that Joe talked about it, the keynote. There were things that even the, the, the old timers like me who were there from like the first time that Google mailing list was formed, that I did not know happened. So the fact that Joe was putting himself out there in, in ways that I did not expect, I don't think anybody in the audience expected that, except perhaps the positine themselves, but nobody else expected that. We were all blown away by this. And the fact that, yes, Shiny for Python is getting a lot of the press, so to speak, that's a given, given where the, the things are landing. But the other enhancements on the R side of things are game-changing enhancements. So I'm keep finding the right projects to start trying this out with, like the UI designer, um, better design in general, which is something I'm trying to get better at. Because even though I think this app might be just for me in the initial start, inevitably someone accesses it and then it just takes right off. It, it's a, leadership wants it, so you got to think about design. Uh, best practices with design as well. So there are lots of nuggets for me to learn from, both from the keynote and the extended talks. But again, the keynote is just amazing. So you have to watch it. If nothing else, you have to watch that. Absolutely. I've watched it probably five or 10 times <laughs> by now. Oh, I, I, I can't get enough of the, the backstory and I can't thank Joe enough for all of his work that he's put into over the years and, and sticking with 
shiny and really believing in it. And I'm so grateful as I know you are, Eric, because it, it has absolutely changed the course of my career and my life in a lot of ways. So I think we're at the 10 year mark for uh, since the launch of Shiny, which is really, really cool this month to reflect back on where Shiny has come from since it first came out. It's, it's pretty incredible to see all of these different talks uh, around UI design and Shiny Test 2 and all of the tools that we have now available and how mature the ecosystem really has become, but also you know, what the future could possibly hold because we keep having these new additional uh, tangential tools that improve our Shiny apps. You know, every, every couple months, something pretty cool comes out. That's the, the beauty of open source, I guess. And you know, one, one takeaway for me after seeing a lot of these, these, these talks beyond Joe's keynote, but looking at some of the the new tools we have, like you, you mentioned the the UI design, um, you know, and just a lot of those other packages, as as well as Shiny Test Two, is thinking more about all of the different pieces that have to go into a, a Shiny app, especially if it's going to be a production Shiny app or, or one that you know you're going to share with others in, in your company, like you mentioned. Um, I think it's a good idea. To, from a scoping perspective, to not uh, just think about the app itself and to think about all of the other pieces that have to fit around that to make sure that the app uh, stands on strong footing, if you will. So uh, it's easy to, to say, oh yeah, I can spin up a shiny app in, in a couple hours here and, and hand it off. But I think it, it is important now um, that we are in such a mature ecosystem where shiny is at today to take into account all of the different things that go into building a good production grade shiny application just like uh, some folks may have learned in a particular workshop at the at the conference well yes oh i wonder who yes um the the materials are all online folks and that's the other key piece of this is that Yes, it is a bit of a bummer that we couldn't record the workshops themselves, but I think if you take a look at the the repo where all these materials are stored, there is just absolutely amazing stuff here. And if I wasn't teaching one, I can tell you that I would have been in attendance in probably three of these if I could have cloned myself because they were that good. So especially shout out to Cedric Schurer's uh, materials on ggplot2 building. Those are just amazing, amazing if you want to power up your visualization skill set. And of course, the tidy models workshops were spectacular. Um, I had a colleague at work that went to that and she said, yeah, these were amazing. And we want to definitely build upon our ML ops engineering based on the principles that she learned at that workshop. So even if you couldn't attend those, there's still a whole lot to learn from. And, you know, never say never when you might see some of that stuff again. Hashtag just saying. Wink, wink. We, we love our winks here on the podcast for sure. <laughs> Get over here. Two, We're counting it It's the final countdown. And yes, let's round out uh, today's episode where I borrowed this quote from a group of Linux podcasters I listened to, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's very appropriate. The journey is just as important as the destination. Now, that may sound a little corny. I acknowledge it, but 
Think about how every issue of our weekly, we have a section dedicated to all the new packages on CRAN. Get that list one by one. You can take a look at our CRAN page and see what the package is about. That's, of course, a very common destination for package authors, isn't it? But one of those packages in today's issue is called Countdown, authored by Posit's own Garrick Aiden Bowie. And on the tin, so to speak, Countdown gives you a simple-looking timer that you can throw inside any web-based content, such as a presentation, document, written, say, our Markdown or Cordo. And of course, you can throw it in Shiny as well, because why not? Now, I used an earlier version of this package in my workshop materials, so I can tell you it definitely is robust, but that's just half the story. The other half of the story, the journey itself, Garrick has authored a terrific post on his blog to share this three-year kind of saga, so to speak, on how Countdown was born. And yes, it does have roots in our studio comp from years ago. So you could say this was conference-driven development in its finest form. So in particular, when Garrick was a, a learner on the learner side at one of um, the 2019 workshop Tidyverse Train the Trainer, which was led by POSIT's Director of Learning, Garrick Roman, another person I've had pleasure of talking with in the past, he saw this handy little widget in Garrett's slides that were sprinkled with timers for the learners to complete activities or maybe um, finish a breakout session and whatnot. And so, of course, Garrick is a big fan of the web-based formats like Sharingan and others. So he saw an opportunity to try to throw this into a web-based format and expand his JavaScript skill set, which he was kind of learning at that time. Now, this started kind of quietly, but there's nothing like a little enthusiastic publicity from members of the Tidyverse team to nudge Garrick along with some future quality of life enhancements that definitely brought Countdown into a bit more visibility with respect to Posit itself. Now, as for the JavaScript side of the package, this is where I applaud Garrick's honesty here. He admits that in this earlier version of Countdown, he didn't quite grasp the ins and outs of what that JavaScript code was actually doing. And boy, do I feel seen saying that because I do have a couple apps where I found this little widget online. Even I did this for my workshop. I can't tell you exactly why it expanded the, the picture that when you click on it, but darn it, it works. So I threw it in. Ooh. We would never copy and paste JavaScript code from Stack Overflow and just stick it right in our apps. Would we, would we Eric? Are we recording this, Mike? Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, well, you know. Exposed. I'm exposed. Well, luckily, I'm not the only one, apparently. Uh, <laughs> now, since that initial release of Countdown on GitHub, it's safe to say that Garrick himself has learned what I'll call the JavaScript force, so to speak. He has become much more proficient with this. And in fact, he taught the JavaScript for Shiny Users Workshop a year later in 2020. So that should tell you something. So combined with that larger user base of colleagues and you know fellow workshop instructors who like using that package, Garrick plunged back into the back end, this JavaScript back end, to solve a few nagging issues in preparation for this year's RStudioConf. We won't go over the great detail about this, but I can tell you that he found 
a much safer way for the countdown if you start it and say you had to navigate to a different page or a different tab in your computer as you're displaying it to your learners in the old way, that method of like switching away could have some unintended consequences because the browsers of today's landscape, if you don't have a tab in focus, it's gonna try to kind of give it a little rest, give it a little sleep, so to speak, to try and conserve resources. Well, that can cause havoc if you need something to actually work, even when it's not quote unquote in focus. So Garrick saw that issue and took it upon himself to write his own custom JavaScript class, complete with a few different methods to make sure that this timer was going to start, stop and keep going, no matter what the condition is in terms of what the, the, uh, the presenter was showing on the screen. So it's a fascinating take the go from a built-in functionality that he did in the previous version to down this custom solution. Again, made possible because he took that investment in time to learn a bit more about what was really happening under the hood. Something I definitely need to learn from. I'm getting nudged a little bit if I dare say so myself. I was going to say, I could have used uh, that JavaScript for Shiny Workshop that he taught. Yes, well, uh, materials of that are online as well. But yes, that was um, <laughs> one of those moments where I was in the in the event itself. I could follow, I think, the first day pretty well. And then I admit, through my thinking, it, it took a while for me to adjust back to it. But that's when I went back to materials like, okay, now I know why he did it. Now I know why he built this HTML widget. And to be honest, this countdown package is another great introduction to that as well. We're not looking at a whole complex operation here, not to trivialize it, but we're not looking at something that's going to make your eyes gloss over by looking at the complex app code here. But this is a, this is a great way to see how you can put these principles in action. Now we can't leave out shiny in this because of course, if Garrick's going to write this pack, he's going to make it, you know, have some nice bells and whistles for shiny itself because now through the back end and exposing an input to the shiny process, you can control programmatically the state of the timer in your app. You can put a little button to say start and stop. You could change the time very quickly. Possibilities are almost endless here. And then if say you're at the situation where you're maybe on the sideline and you have maybe lightning talks at a conference or at a meetup, and you need the time each speaker because you gotta get things moving, get things moving. There is a built-in countdown underscore app function that gives you just a full screen timer. Perfect for putting it on the phone or putting it in another secondary display where you can easily keep track of all this. And just that timer itself's got some nice bells and whistles for customization as well, including if say you want to bookmark the state of this to do only like five minutes or 10 minutes, you can, thanks to Shiny's bookmarkable state feature, take that state of it and take the URL and plug it in somewhere else down the road so you don't lose your preferred timer settings. Yes, we're all talking about a timer with this, but think of the principles we've outlined here. These are all things that we can learn from as we engineer some really nifty fit for purpose packages. So. I, I loved reading this. You can tell I geek out with this stuff, but it was great to read about Garrick's journey with this. So yes, it's a timer, but it's a fascinating timer and how it got there, if I do say so myself. 
I agree. It gives me a little bit of MacGruber, like Saturday Night Live vibes <laughs> <laughs> with the countdown. But um, I think it's a fantastic resource, especially for education purposes or, or giving presentations. Um, really, really cool. And beyond Garrick's blog, just telling you how the shiny works, there is, of course, a link to an accompanying working shiny app with all the bells and whistles that allow you to start the timer stop the timer, buttons to reset the timer, bump it up 15 seconds, bump it down 15 seconds, uh, and really concise code around that, which is, is, is pretty incredible. I really enjoyed reading Garrick's blog post and sort of seeing the evolution uh, of Countdown itself and the package and, and how it started and how for a couple years there, uh, which is something that resonates with me and, and maybe some other R package authors and just open source in general. There was an R package that worked, but kept him up at night a little bit because of some of the code that was cobbled together in there. And, you know, like we talk about all the time, though, open source is this incredible thing where as consumers, we get a lot, but as producers of open source content, uh, you don't get as much as the consumers get back you know you're, you're sort of doing it um, out of the goodness of your own heart for the most <laughs> for the most part so it was super relatable to me to see that it did take him a while to update the package and he actually includes the old javascript code and the new javascript code which for me as somebody who's you know like i said copied and pasted a lot of javascript and, and just edited uh, that from you know what, wherever I'm getting it on Stack Overflow for my you know particular apps in Shiny or tables in Shiny to do to do something that doesn't come out of the box for me actually looking at this JavaScript code pretty easy to read also well commented um, which is nice so it, it makes me feel like maybe someday I could get there as well but um, you know beyond just releasing the updates to the package sort of hearing the backstory. Um, in Garrick's blog as well is I, I think really powerful and, and something that's that's pretty cool to see along with a package update to actually remember that there is a, a human being behind that who's working as hard as they can to incorporate changes and provide you with the best end product API um, that they possibly can. So I'm excited to incorporate the Countdown app uh, maybe into or incorporate Countdown into, into maybe some of my shiny apps and I did not realize now I'm taking a look at it that there is that countdown underscore app function that just spits out a beautiful big full screen uh, countdown for you so very very useful yep there there are many different ways you could use this so obviously we talk about you know conference or workshop venues but hey there could be a timer for almost anything you like and yes Garrick is is not the only one that is into this conference-driven development. And in fact, an earlier post that he authored, which may or may not have been a highlight, I can't recall, was how he was using um, image processing to get the speaker profile pictures for our studio comp and be able to put them onto the website. So yeah, totally geeking out with R and image processing as well. So of course, that this is why this company is so cool. You get to see all these great tooling that just kind of organically get built every year because of <laughs> conferences. Well, you know, I, I can relate. I can relate. So 
Absolutely. No, I'm, I think this is a great compliment to uh, all the things that we have with, with Quarto now. I feel like this plus uh, our, our, our new, what's the JavaScript library for uh, making slides with Quarto? Nowadays. Reveal JS. Reveal JS. That's what it is. I feel like I can stick these countdowns right into my Reveal JS presentation potentially. You can. Um, they will I guarantee go hand it. In hand beautifully. Yes. Yes. I, I I lived that I lived that life for my slides and nothing broke. So of all the oh, things so that didn't break, that was not one of the things that broke. It was Wi-Fi that broke, but that's a different story altogether. Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't, can't please everything or you can't get everything right. But um yeah, fascinating journey so of course links to that links to where the recordings are are in the episode show notes and as well as the full issue itself where we have a whole lot more content than we could talk about but of course we gotta tidy up here things a little bit but i do want to put a little spotlight on another one that kind of flew under the radar a little bit a package called drawer now of course that may not be the most descriptive name of what it's about but I did a little digging into this, and it is an HTML widget package that could be plugged into our Markdown, Cordal, Shiny, whatever have you, that allows you to edit an image directly. And when I say edit, I mean maybe like draw a little circle on or annotate a little bit, do a little drawing upon it. And what's interesting about this is that this was originally a component of a larger, I don't know if pipeline's the right word, but a, a larger collection called System Pipe Shiny that's geared towards reproducible analysis through a even larger framework called System Pipe. Um, now, rather than forcing users into that entire workflow just to utilize, say, this particular image processing, the team behind this has now taken a modular approach where if you just want that image processing, have yourself that drawer package. And then maybe if you like that, you might be interested in what the rest of the system pipe shiny uh, component set is all about. I can tell you that the fact that they, you know, that they took out this particular module into a separate package actually makes me more interested in what they're doing with system pipe shiny instead of just kind of letting this be maybe hidden in the back end of this overall pipeline. So I think just the approach of that itself is something I try to learn from as I build internal tooling where maybe I have a large shiny app that does a whole bunch of custom processing with statistical analysis, but maybe I have users that are just interested in maybe one particular piece of it, whether it's related to shiny or not. So what I try to do now is just make a separate package out of some of that work so they can use that however they choose. But if they wanna come from my shiny front end, yeah, come and stay for the shiny front end. So I thought that was pretty fascinating to see. Um, so I'll be taking a look at that whole uh, system pipe shiny uh, ecosystem probably later on. Very cool shout out. Well, actually, under the videos and podcasts section of our weekly this week, the first bullet point says, listen to the our weekly highlights podcast. Boom. So that's 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 a great uh, one to click on if you do happen to find yourself on the rweekly.org page. But another highlight that I really enjoyed, which uh is sort of of the uh, blog mindset of, hey, I'm struggling with this on my own laptop. I finally figured it out, so I'm going to make a blog post to save everybody else from having to go through the pain that I went through. Those are my favorite blog posts. Um, is from Sebastian Rochette, 
who's from the Think R team. They do awesome, awesome work. And it's the installation. It's it's all about the installation of R4.2 on Ubuntu 22.04.1 LTS and tips for installing spatial packages like oh. SF and Terra on uh, that particular setup. He has a really great list of all the bash commands and all the other uh, packages that you will need to install through apt-get install commands uh, on the command line of your Ubuntu machine to make sure that you have a perfect setup for doing geospatial analysis on that Ubuntu machine with R4.2. Uh, it's something that resonates with me. I'm still hanging around on versions of R4.1 and I do need to pull the trigger and finally upgrade to, to R4.2 one of these days. So I may be coming back to this blog post very soon. Yes, and as the as the Linux geek here, I always like seeing this. This is a, a part of our community that you know, admittedly, may not get the most attention. But I think lately, this has become a lot more focused because it's not just about installing this on a typical Linux distro like Ubuntu. This is also valuable for your container setups too, if you're into the Docker ecosystem. So there's lots of Lots of nuggets to take away here. And yes, Ubuntu 22.04 is the next long-term support release, which means that this is going to be supported by the vendor behind it, Canonical, for a good five, six, seven years. I forget their exact timing, but you can be rest assured that you can stick with this for a long time. So yes, um, if you can upgrade to the latest and greatest, there's a whole bunch of fun stuff in the kernel as well that might be helpful to the data scientists out there. And yes, I always like talking about this. So yeah, credit to ThinkR for keeping the Linux train going in the R community. I always love to see it. If you're doing any cloud development, I mean, that's it's got to be the way to go nowadays. I couldn't imagine uh, spinning up a cloud Windows instance. I don't even think that's possible. Thank goodness. Don't. Just, just don't. <laughs> The opinions expressed on the R Weekly Highlights podcast may not be reflected of the whole R Weekly organization. I just have to put that disclaimer in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, how much more trouble can I get into? Well, maybe we should wrap <laughs> it up then, shall we? But there is, so you can find all the great additional content in this issue. Just go to rweekly.org. That's the best place to go. You're going to see everything from this issue and all previous issues as well. And if you like to see content featured on our weekly, just send us a pull request. You'll see a link to the GitHub repo at the upper corner of the page. Our curators will be more than happy to review your pull request and get it into the draft for the upcoming issue. So thank you again so much for joining us. And of course, I can't leave here without, you know, giving our listeners what they want. Mike, I know you're on a lot of adventures these days. Where can people follow you online? Follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Awesome stuff. I am at the R-Cast and hopefully not causing too much more trouble than my voice may have just did earlier. Um, but yes, I will be tweeting some cool developments coming up in the near future. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And we will be back with another edition of our Weekly Highlights next week.